Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scopophilia. We are the millennial movement. And I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller, back at it with more summer sessions just for you. More behind-the-scenes glimpse, glimpses behind the curtain of what makes a movie, how is a movie made, who are the people behind it. I'm figuring it all out for you, and I'm learning. We are we are learning this summer. We are on the beach. We are doing activities in the sun now that things are starting to feel a little bit more back to normal in our post-COVID, current COVID world and, and trying to figure that out. So you're doing a good, really good job, you know. Give yourself a break. It's been hard, but you're doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. Now, of course, this week we are back with episode two of this interview that I did with Jason Ballantyne about his career as a film editor. It has been so interesting and, and like I say in the interview, it definitely is something that I think not a lot of people think of, much like, you know, the finance aspects and, you know, other aspects of making film other than like the big one of director and screenwriter. So this has been so interesting to hear about and and to think about and to learn about from someone who is, you know, had such an amazing career and is so talented at what he does. So I'm going to stop talking and let you get back to it with our second interview, the second half of our interview with Jason Ballantyne. Enjoy! Scopophilia, it's the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Well, and let me ask you, because you have worked on, you know, a lot of, I mean, Baz Luhrmann alone is very visually stunning. So, I mean, how do you go into a process of, you know, putting together a film like that? Because it is, when you think about it, editing is really kind of like the last chance to change the tone of something even. And so what is, you know, what is your thought process in terms of like putting something together? I think the an editor, I feel, you know, people talk of editing styles, but I don't, I don't know that, well, I guess I'm not familiar with recognising an, an editor's style in the sense of what, what I mean by that is um, a film will have style or a director will have a particular style. And I think that the, the editor should be obviously cognizant of, of those requirements and, and fit into the film's requirement as opposed to me imposing my preferred style on on a genre because you know if I'm if I'm um, of an, an MTV generation then my fast cutting erratic style may not suit the romantic comedy right <laughs> and so I think you know I think um, uh, you have to be sensitive to be informed by the style of the film and and that learning process that journey begins with day one of pressing play on on the dailies and I think you know the 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 um, rate of dialogue dialogue exchange or or the camera move you know 
they're all really informative as to the the edit pacing and of course outside of the internal metronome that a scene might have at, at the beginning during the shoot you can only work on the scene that's before you and so you'll be assembling just that scene you'll be doing it to the the manner that you feel is best but it's only when you start to get a string of scenes um, as the shoot progresses that you start to realize uh, you know the pacing isn't right on that or or you know what typically happens is the shooting set will overshoot the the action that's required for that scene so they'll shoot the person walking into the door they'll shoot them sitting on their chair they'll shoot them having their conversation they'll shoot the end of the conversation where the person gets out and exit the room and so as an ascent you know in the first pass of assembly you put all that together but it's not until you start getting a rhythm that you realize well, let's just jump cut them in the chair have their conversation and then maybe they'll just exit or maybe they'll just enter the room for mm. you know for it's a geographical consideration sit them in the chair and then we'll just hard cut at the end of the conversation and, and jump cut them to wherever their next location is and so you know those kind of rhythms start to get felt once you uh, uh you know, the film starts to formulate in, in a string. And then once it's completely fully formulated, then um, that's when you start to recognise repetition and things like that. It's interesting with a script. I've, when I read a script, there's so much to digest and so much that's conjured in your head. You're trying to visualise locations or even what the characters look like. Right. But when you actually, when that's delivered in a hard fixed form where you can't, you know, argue with it, it, it is what it is, <laughs> then everything else becomes a little more, um, it, it's an extra degree. It, it's cleared a lot of the confusion and now has presented a reality where you can then start to uh, assess, I think, more clearly the story. And it's, and it's very interesting how I find the scripts can be quite repetitious, which isn't known as a read, but when you start to watch it, you think, well, actually, this is the same information, it's just in a different location. With mm. It could even be uh, the re-information of, of um, uh, the same information being spoken by two different characters. I'm sorry, Becca, <laughs> completely off the track then. I don't even, I can't even recall your original question. <laughs> no, um, no, So I what love was it like working with Baz? Is that what you said? <laughs> um, so you did say, you did say um, uh, Baz is good looking. Are you talking about the man <laughs> or his films? Um, well, I was talking about his films, but yeah. I mean. Well, he, he's a good looking guy too. So yeah, Baz is, um, you know, I think there are, there are, there are very few directors that have a really, truly unique stylistic stamp like Baz. Mm. And he, um, you know, those directors should be rewarded. You know, he, he, I mean, you know, there's many wonderful directors, but those like Baz um, and, and those other, you know, standout directors really should be rewarded. Often their creative flamboyancy doesn't necessarily fit a studio's financial requirements at times <laughs> but those you know utterly creative directors n need the space to fly and and I think that the studios recognize that you know although they may go over in their shoot periods or whatever that their end product is truly going to be unique and and ultimately a wonderful saleable product um, and that's really what the studios are after is is um you know they're they're in the business of making money via entertainment um the process of, with gatsby was was a you know really wonderful time as i said it was um with my best friend um so the it was my first collaboration so that was interesting also because you know creativity really does require ownership and as an editor 
And I think that it's, you know, the process to go through of sharing edits is is difficult. You get precious, you know, you, you have mm-hmm. reasons for why you chose that shot over that shot and why you think it should be in that order and that music has to hit that beat there and to have yeah. somebody come in and, and rework your stuff and you're kind of like, no, 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 that's completely wrong. Right. And, you know, to, 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 you know, harden your skin and realise that to collaborate is to, um, yeah, be open to change. And so that was a wonderful opportunity to have that system. And, yeah, that, that, that was a really, that was a great experience, that one. It was um, uh, a great reward and, and that, that was a positive experience. Well, that's, I mean, that's wonderful. And it's, it's so interesting, this idea of, because I think, and, you know, maybe this is true, maybe this isn't true, but I think a lot of people, when they think of editors, it's like one sole guy in a room and maybe the director's there, maybe he's not going through and like assembling this thing. Um, But even just, you know, the way you're saying of, you know, maybe there's a co-editor and there's a collaboration and there's ownership and, you know, all of those things is, is so fascinating. Have, and, and, you know, I see on your, on your credits list that you've, you know, been a co-editor a couple times. Do you like being a co-editor more or less than being like the editor? Is Like, I mean, obviously it's a different experience, but do you think you prefer one, one process over the other? I think Becky, that I, I really do enjoy being the editor. I mm-hmm. I personally thrive with the responsibility of, you know, I got to do it because <laughs> no one right. else is. However, <laughs> there definitely becomes a point through the size of the film, the amount of dailies being acquired and the um, the studio schedule that um, it is physically just not feasible for one editor to do it. It Chapter One was, um, was a, you know, wonderful film. It was my first collaboration with Andy Machete and that film was um, manageable um, with just one editor. Um, but it chapter two, um, you know, had a bigger budget and got more into, you know, the craziness of um, complexity of visual effects and bigger story, you know, double the characters. Not only did we have the young kids, but we then had them as, as adults. So, you know, there was a lot of peddling to be done on screen. And that film was absolutely the brink of not being manageable um, as as one editor. In fact, for um, for five weeks at the beginning of After Shoot, the director's cut, I had a co-editor come on and, and his contribution was fantastic because there were around 10 scenes that were unassembled at that point because it was just getting snowed under from, right. from the massive uh, dailies during the shoot. And Peter um, was uh, brilliant in in putting those together and giving a, a, you know, a formulation that we could then, you know, build upon and and move forward and now this current film uh um which is also andy machete directing the flash this is so massive that there is no hope that i could possibly have done it by (laughs) myself and so um i have a co-editor on this film paul matchless they're shooting in london at the moment and paul um uh, uh is london based and so paul's actually editing on set and i'm editing at warner's in um los angeles and so we have the two disparate cutting rooms, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's working really well at the moment. Very excited, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, me too. I am too. I'm <laughs> super excited. <laughs> well, and so I mean, you've worked on so many, you know, wonderful pieces. Is there a specific piece that you feel more strongly towards, or you know, something that you're more proud of, or you know, a quote unquote favorite, anything like that in your career, or 
is it yet to come or <laughs> well you know becky as i said every every film um is positive for some manner mm -hmm. the, the film the films that i would probably that spring to mind first is is are those in in the filmmaking processes the, the collaborations with the people that that i look most fondly back on more than what what the film was you know there are uh, you know i guess if you're looking for name dropping then wolf creek um my collaboration with greg mclean you know i i treasure because that was um that was the break from assistant editing to editing and so for that opportunity i'm you know eternally grateful because of on the back of the success of that film I was never asked again my availability for assistant editing <laughs> it, it, in in the in the small community of filmmakers in Australia it, that film was good enough to stamp you know this guy's now cutting there was another um uh, lower budget australian film called wish you were here with Kieran, mm. the director Kieran Darcy Smith and I love that story I'm a massive fan of Joel Edgerton and so for me you know having the opportunity of 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 cutting joel was wonderful and and he's actually very close friends with kieran so there was a lot of just social opportunities of you know just hanging with joel and i think yeah, he's such a lovely guy so that that film that film was you know a great treasure to look back on it, it wasn't necessarily in the same respects as wolf creek mm. a career propeller but the collaboration was, you know, really, really wonderful. Most recently, um, uh, I just finished a film called The Guilty, um, which is Jake Gyllenhaal as a uh, 911 um, phone call operator, demoted policeman. Right. That was uh, the director of that film was um, Antoine uh, Fuqua, and that was another magical experience. The craziest thing of that experience is... Um, <laughs> I never met Antoine face to face because we did it during COVID. Oh my and goodness! So that that was. Uh, I'm I'm still looking forward to meeting him. <laughs> we had plenty <laughs> of um, we had plenty of uh, video chats, but we I never actually got to shake his hand, unfortunately. But but that was another really another wonderful uh, experience where where the film just came together. And then, you know, talking of unreleased films, um, working with um, Matthew Vaughan on on The Kingsman was, um, that was shot in London and posted in London, so I had, mm -hmm. had time to go to London, and that was a really nice, you know, again, looking back fondly on experiences, elements mm -hmm. of a film and how they all differ. The IT films were uh, shot in Toronto, so it was a good opportunity of travel and it always wanted to go to London. And mm. so the Kingsman was a great opportunity of getting into Matthew's world, which, um, yeah, his um, his world is is a league well beyond mine. But to um, <laughs> to have um, opportunities of editing on private aeroplane flights from London to New York and <laughs> whatever was um, was a whole new experience for me. <laughs> right. What more can you ask for? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. All you can ask for is another wine. Right. <laughs> Well, and so, I mean, I guess so the big question I would ask for you is as somebody who loves filmmaking and all of those things and have, has done the film school thing, you know, what would you say to, you know, students or people who are interested in getting into your field and who are thinking, yeah, I think I want to be an editor? You know, what, what would be the advice or, you know, a comment that you would say to them? Um, I think, you know, Becky, the, the most difficult thing about our industry is that, you know, you, you can't buy Saturday's newspaper and read the employment section. You know, it's it mm. just, 
it just doesn't go through that route of opportunity. And so finding the opportunities is, I think, the biggest hurdle. You know, there's, there's many components to answering this, this question thoroughly, you know, so that it's actually valuable. The thing to realise is, you know, as I said, I, you know, have a Bachelor of Arts in Visual Arts, but I've never, ever told any employer that I have it. And no one's ever asked, you know, it, it's never been relevant. You know, if you're wanting to be an accountant, you know, maybe you have to study three nights a week to get a particular certificate that then legally allows you to do whatever. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing about the film industry is there's no legal boundary. You know, if you're, if you're passionate, creative and have a, a particular unique view, then you'll find your home, you know, you, you'll you find your place and, and you'll be successful. I mean, there is one legal boundary, which is um, the Editors Guild, the union. But that's, you know, if you're wanting to work on union films or any union show, could be um, television, drama, whatever. So there are, you know, there are avenues. There's, um, you know, the, the, I think the biggest, the biggest question is not of the industry. The biggest question is of yourself, you know, there's so many facets of editing. There's so many, so many strict disciplines that really do not intertwine in any manner. So, you know, documentary to um, television commercials to television drama, feature film. You know, they're they're such such strict editing disciplines that that you really have to you know feel out through your own experiences. And I guess you know. I did say a negative thing of tertiary education, of further studies, is that, you know, nobody will ask for the qualification, but that doesn't devalue it at all. You know, the, the, the great thing about tertiary education, meaning, you know, college or a film school, is that it, it's a safe haven. It's a, it's a safe place to experiment. Mm. Hopefully, you know, financially things are working for you, you know, to, right. to eat still. But, <laughs> but you know, outside of that obvious, obvious <laughs> challenge, the, the wonderful thing about, about a film school is that you're collaborating with like-minded people to have a freedom to experiment because once you get into a professional realm, I'm not saying you can't experiment, but there's a responsibility to deliver something and so that can slightly impede your freedoms whereas film school is all about freedom and experimentation and and the the most valuable thing i think you could come out of a film school recognizing is as i said firstly what's your direction what do you want to pursue and and if it happens to be editing what component of editing (laughs) and and then um the other most valuable component is your relationships because as I said, you know, you can't read the newspaper and so the only way you're going to get a job or or is this building blocks of opportunity where one leads to the other. And because the entire industry is freelance, it means that the 400 to 1,000 people that just finished on a film are now looking for the next film. Mm. And it literally happens, the conversation goes, oh, yeah, I've got this film coming up, um, I need a crew, um, oh, yeah, man, Becky was fantastic on that last job. Let's just get her along on this one. And so, right. you know, that that's literally how it happens. And so, you know, how do you get into those first opportunities? So I think film festivals are a wonderful opportunity, particularly, you know, short film festivals too. I'm not talking about, you know, feature film festivals. I mean, I, I of course, have just spoken about, you know, four or five different 
facets of editing and then I just suddenly start talking about film festivals and films <laughs> that, that's that's because that's what I know and what mm. I do um so you know of course your listeners should see editors who specialize in the other areas if that's their interest but principally I think uh, we're all dealing with the same challenges as freelancers trying to you know be re-employed an editor the most valuable person to an editor is a director maybe a producer relationship. That collaboration is what you're wanting to have repeat performances of. And I think from a director's standpoint, you'll notice when you're looking through director's credits that usually the the one staple role for a director is their editor. And it's because of the vulnerabilities, all of the discussions that happen in a cutting room in the closed door confines where the director can suddenly sit in the chair, take a breath, not be bombarded with having to make, you know, a million decisions on a shooting set where they can just sit back and suddenly um, recognise what elements they have and what 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 is the film, what's the tone of the film, what direction is it taking. And as you said earlier, Becky, you know, editing is the last line of defence. You know, if, if, if it can't be solved in that moment, it won't ever be solved. If, if I mean, obviously there's uh, additional creative contributions beyond picture edit, like uh, uh, sounds contribution and, of course, score music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that, that's, uh, in my mind, they're not they're not desperate um, disparate elements. They're collaborative elements that come to fruition during post production. So, the score is coming on as the editor's working. The visual effects are being finalised as the editor's working. Sound effects, you know, we'll work with temporary sound effects, which then when the sound team come on, start fleshing out with their own designed effects and things. And so, you know, all of these elements inform the edit and the picture cut will change as these other elements come on. Yeah, again, I digress. Going back to your question, um, uh, relationships. You know, these tertiary educations are... Uh, to facilitate a secure place for you to invest and um, to experiment. But as an editor, you know, I think it would be pertinent to come out of those schooling experiences with relationships with directors, for example. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to talk now, Becky? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you hit a lot of really great points that, um, that it, it kind of seems to be a theme of, you know, forming relationships with people, um, you know, networking with people. That way you are getting into, you know, the next project and you're kind of forming a reputation and things. And I mean, I think the other kind of overarching thing that you're touching on is, you know, if you're creative and you have passion and, and drive, like, this is what you want to do, do it kind of thing. Seek it out. I think is kind of the feel that I get you from what you're course. saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your life is, is an evolution. Yeah. You know, you, your, your personal life decisions change where you want to live, you know, your partners or whatever, you know, it, same with your profession. I mean, obviously the sooner, this is a long road. You're not, I mean, you might, it's right. <laughs> it's possible that you, you know, win an Oscar on your first film that you right. edited last week. That's completely possible. Your career is over decades. And so, you know, that it's all about the building blocks and, and you don't have to know, you, you don't have to recognise what role you'll be retiring at. You right. Just, you, and, and to be quite honest, the role that you retire as is not the role that's available to you today probably anyway, particularly in feature film where it's very hierarchical and the entry-level positions as a PA, cutting room PA or um, apprentice or then, you know, second assistant editor, first assistant editor, VFX editor, there's post-production supervisor, 
you know, there's so many roles within the cutting room and, of course, editor that, yeah, you, you'll, you'll weave through all those roles as opportunities prevail. And, and as I said, you know, you might even flip between um, the niches of editing. There, there's a couple editors that really successfully have very strong careers in feature film editing and television commercial editing. And I think, you know, that's a pretty amazing place to position yourself because with um, freelance film editing, there's definitely unemployment gaps. You don't just move straight from one film to the other. Sometimes, you know, that's actually welcome because you might have been working solidly without a break for 18 months and now you're looking forward to two months off before you get into your next year job or whatever. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think we've come to a, a pretty good stopping point. I know we're getting close to that hour mark. Um, but, I mean, it was lovely to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of the the Kingsman uh, universe that they have going on, so I'm very excited for that and The Flash coming out. Um, you know, I wish you all the best. You're welcome back anytime on the show if you'd like to come back on. And, uh, you know, do you have any other, you know, parting words for our listeners out there? I think, Becky, you know, just follow your heart. The people who are successful in any field, even, you know, of course, outside of filmmaking, the, the successful people are those who are driven by passion and not a dollar. And and I can tell you flat now, you know, there are, there are many jobs that I thought to myself, if I was on overtime at McDonald's, I would have been paid more than <laughs> I would have on this job. But it's not about you know, getting free burgers. It's about um, building a career. And so take every opportunity, but also be really mindful that like all industry, people will take advantage of you. So I think that, you know, you have to be, you have to set boundaries and recognize when an opportunity is right for you and that, that you ride the opportunity to the point that it that it benefits you, not benefits somebody else. Because, you know, there'll be times of, oh, yeah, you can come in and, yeah, I'll give you a film job. You can sit in this room for 100 hours and sync my dailies. But, yeah, what's the reward? If, if, if your reward is the education on how to sync dailies, then after 100 hours you've probably got the, the, um, the skill down pat. It's time to move on, you know. So it's, it's, it's that kind of recognition. And even so much as if you're cutting somebody's short film, put a price on it. And what I mean by that, it could just simply be buy me lunch every day. You know, it doesn't have to be, well, you know, what's your budget? Well, give me $100 and I'll cut it all. You know, like mm. just just put value on yourself because the moment you start putting value on your contribution, the better you'll feel and the respect will be garnered by, by the people you're working with. Because if you offer yourself for free, I've seen it before, you know, you do a job, you think you're building a relationship the director then goes and actually gets something with a budget and they suddenly think, uh, yeah, nah, Becky's not right because, well, she's free. You know, mm. th- there's no value there. Whereas, right. you know, well, I'll do it, I'll do it for a hundred bucks or I'll do it for a grand or whatever. Then when they get the job, you, you know, well, you know, let's, let's build together now. You know, I'll, I'll pay you 500 bucks or, or $2,000 or whatever, you know, whatever right. your rate's doing. But, but anyway, the point being, yeah, put value, recognise an opportunity, take the opportunity. You can always not do the opportunity if it doesn't work out to your fulfilment, but don't get ridden, you know. Mm. Once it's served, move on. Be true to yourself, you know. Uh, be authentic, I think, is the, the hardest thing to do sometimes where, where you're trying to appease somebody because 
they have a bigger credit than you. So what? You know, be true to yourself. There's plenty of opportunities. And if this one doesn't work out, there'll be another one. I mean, well said. Always put value on yourself. I love that. Yeah. yeah, Excuse me. Um, well, lovely to chat, Becky. I hope um, I hope uh, your voice um, clears soon. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, like I said, you're welcome back anytime if you want to come back on the show and and talk to us more about your career. Like I said, I'm very excited for your projects coming up, and we'll chat a little bit after this. But you know, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so fun and interesting. <laughs> yeah, real pleasure, Becky. Thanks for having me. Another huge thank you to Jason Valentine for coming on the show and talking about his interesting and amazing uh, career of film editing and the the joys and the facets and the different aspects of, you know, what it means to do film editing, whether it be assistant editor, editor, or anything in between before or after and it was such a joy to talk to him so lovely and again he has so many projects coming up the flash the new kingsman movie uh the guilty with jake gyllenhaal on netflix so so much to look forward to and of course as always if you liked this episode of the summer session we have other episodes in our summer session, of course. Uh, all summer long, we've been talking with film industry professionals, telling us the ins and outs of their job. So, of course, you can go back and listen to those. We also have seasons one and two of our normal broadcast of favorite movies with our friends and family and everybody in between. So you can go ahead and listen to those uh, if this episode you just need more after listening to this. You can go ahead and listen to all of our previously published content. Uh, otherwise, you can go to our Instagram at scopophilia underscore podcast, or you can also subscribe to our TikTok account, which is at scopophilia the podcast. And if you really, really, really love the show, and I don't blame you, uh, make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our show page. We love hearing from you. I love hearing from you. And let's just keep the discussion going. And if that wasn't enough for you guys, I'm happy to accommodate because we also have merch. We have hats. We have totes. We have shirts all on our website at NC podcasts.com. Uh, you can also find the link in our Instagram bio. And since you're already on the internet, don't forget to tell everybody about the show and how much you love it, because we know you love it. I know you love it. And I'm happy that you're here. But you know who might also like the show is uh, your friends and your family members and your, your friends of family and your family of friends. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia, and I will see you all next Friday. Bye!